0: Hey everybody mike griffith here welcome to tonight's angles on the beat segment very pleased to bring tonight's special guest on mr paul feinbaum from the sec network espn paul really appreciate you joining me tonight
1: mike uh, it's my pleasure it's so great to uh, be with you and uh, i can't wait to talk about uh, the upcoming season and all the things that are going on
0: no doubt it's uh, it is talking season we're just a few weeks away from sec media days and no telling what's going to come out of there what storylines are going to explode Uh, Already, though, Paul, a lot of changes in college football have made this uh, a busier offseason than I suppose uh, what we're accustomed to. And I'm going to start right here at Georgia. It's the Georgia program, obviously. And I look at the Georgia Bulldogs adding players like a a Tyke Smith. Here's a guy that was an honorable mention, an All-American from West Virginia star player, that hybrid linebacker safety, Darian Kendrick. Maybe he could start at cornerback. He was an All-ACC player at Clemson, and and Eric Gilbert, a, a guy that a lot of people were excited about at LSU. Now transitioning from tight end to wide receiver, this one-time transfer. How'd you feel about it on the front end? And now that we see the results, of Georgia reload. How do you feel about it now,
1: Like I like it. Uh, I, I've always felt the the old rule was very restrictive and unfair. And yeah, you know, every you know people cringe when I try to bring up that coaches can move without uh, penalty, but, but players can't, but I, I think this is the age of the player. And, and, and quite frankly, I like it. And, and I know, I know, I know what everyone's saying that they're, you know, very few are getting places. Uh, I mean, what under 8% or something like that, or players are are, get, are finding homes, but you know, that's their, that's their choice. And, and I think in, in George's case, nobody has taken advantage of this, uh, uh, you know, recently be- better than Kirby smart. And, and, it's just the nature of the game. Uh, it never ends. Recruiting does not stop on National Signing Day. Uh, you have to uh, get the players there, and then you have to keep them. Kirby Smart has been hurt uh, as badly as anyone uh, by, by players leaving. We know that. Uh, the, just, just, just hit the button on Justin Fields. But you know, he, he's done extremely well, and I think uh, there were a couple of question marks about Georgia a month or two ago. There are fewer question marks today.
0: Yeah, I think the transfer portal's got a lot to do with it. And you're right, Paul. Georgia was kind of on the front end of this when Justin Fields transferred out. It got a lot of national news. As it turned out, Justin Fields didn't go any further in the college football playoffs than Jake Fromm did. And if you look at the numbers last year, Georgia's offense actually did more against the Alabama defense than Ohio State and Justin Fields. So that puzzle will never be solved. But just as the transfer portal uh, took it away, it delivered JT Daniels. From Southern California. Now JT, an interesting guy, Paul. He came out and he was almost as celebrated as Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. He was actually rated third in that class. But he goes to USC, and you know how it is. You know, you disappear on the West Coast, and and he goes away for a year. He gets injured. He pops up, and from his start at Mississippi State on the rest of the year, he had the highest passer rating of any of the returning quarterbacks. And yet, I looked at the Phil Steele magazine, and we both respect Phil. He recently had him on. Uh, the bomb show he's got Matt Corral from Old Miss ahead of him I've heard Bryce Young ahead of him. where are you at on the buy-in level for JT Daniels
1: I understand the criticism uh, and I had a coach hit me up the other day and, and 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 asked me you know what why am I so high on on JT Daniel he said what what else has he done uh other than or who else did he play other than Cincinnati and and that's fair uh, I mean I you know we're talking about Someone who I think is one of the best quarterbacks in the country, but it's, but you you've given me uh, part of my answer. The, the the second part of my answer, Mike, is that he just has the it factor, and, and to be a great quarterback, you have to have that. And I'm not here. I'm not I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on Matt Corral or Bryce Young. I, I have no earthly idea if Bryce Young is going to be a great quarterback. I've I had a caller the other day say he's going to be better than Tua Tungavalo. I'm not like going. Are you out of your mind? I mean, we're talking about one of the the greatest quarterbacks in, in SEC history. He may be good, uh, good for him. But, but I think JT Daniel, is, is. I don't think it's a question. I don't think it's, a, I don't even think it's debatable. He's the best quarterback in the SEC. And he's experienced too. I mean, this is not somebody who's just rolling out of bed. Uh, he's, he's got a lot of experience. He's got, he's had a lot of hard knocks and he's in a really good place too uh, with, with a lot around him. He's not going to be uh, by himself in the, in the backfield.
0: Yeah, I guess that would be my the second part of my question here. And when I've looked at, the, when i played devil's advocate uh, on the JT Daniels and why others might put a Matt Corral or a Bryce Young, I sense that there's still some people that aren't quite convinced that Kirby Smart is, is going to turn this offense loose. Now, he, he went out and hired a guy in Todd Munkin that's pretty talented. And granted, Georgia's quarterback situation last year wasn't the best uh, with the injury to JT keeping him out until the last four games and Jamie Newman kind of flying the coop and I don't know what Milk Carton he's on now. I don't know where he's at. And Stetson Bennett steps in, a former walk on four string quarterback. Paul, are you are you convinced that we're going to see Kirby cut Georgia loose in a way that's going to enable JT Daniels to put up uh, prolific uh, numbers? Or are we going to see Georgia running the ball 12 out of 14 plays in the fourth quarter when they're up three touchdowns on folks?
1: Well, we're about to enter into the Twilight Zone here in this conversation because we're entering the Kirby Smart con- uh, conundrum, and I think he's going to. Um, and, and and I, I try, I don't, I've made a vow in, in the second half of my career, Mike, I, I don't criticize other shows, I don't criticize other writers, I've done that in the past, it's, that, that, there's no reason to, Every, everyone's entitled to their opinion, How, however, I think the single laziest, most disingenuous argument in college football is that Kirby smart is not an elite coach. I mean, that that's just total BS. And if we weren't uh, on a family show, I'd use stronger language. And I hear it every day on our program. I hear it uh, when we gather as uh, media members and it's, it's always the same. Uh, Well, uh, he's stubborn. He gets in his own way. He's a great recruiter, but not, I mean, if you're to be a great coach, you have to be a great recruiter. Don't hold it against Kirby smart. That he's a great recruiter, uh, ha, ha, you know. He well, he he he's blown. You know He's blown two double-digit leads against Alabama. Who else has ever had a double-digit lead against Alabama to blow? I mean, come on. I mean, look, look, I mean, there just has this has to stop. I mean, th- this is just insanity. Uh, and I have a feeling we're going to continue to hear it. I, and I mean, to, in, I guess until Kirby Smart wins a national championship. Yeah, you know, every every talk show uh, Bubba in the South is going to throw that out to his audience like like chum to sharks. And yeah, I'm I'm going to keep defending Kirby Smart because I, I know Kirby Smart. I've known him a long time. Uh, I watched him as an assistant. I know how much Nick Saban thinks of him. I know how much uh, other coaches think of him. And he's still relatively young in his career. Uh, five years into Saban's tenure, uh, he hadn't won a national championship yet. Do I think Kirby is going to win one? Yes. Uh, Do I think this is the year? It's very possible. Uh, I I said this the other day and I'll I'll say it again. Uh, I think think George is going to beat Clemson. Originally, I wasn't sure about that when Pickens went down. That that was a long time ago. That was a lot of players in the portal. And and I I, I just think uh, it's time for the media to concentrate Uh, on things that are real and instead of making stuff up
0: about Kirby smart. You know, Paul, I think part of it is that Kirby has come so close to slaying the dragon and you're right. He's led Saban at halftime, all three meetings. And yes, he lost, but you know, you look at Kirby's career over five years, he's only lost four games that he led at halftime. Three were to Saban and the other one was to the really good Tennessee, Butch Jones offense on a Hail Mary at Sanford stadium. Other than that, when George is leading at halftime, they went he's 10 and six against top 10 teams you'd be hard pressed to find another coach that's done that much so I think to your point it it has gotten blown out of proportion but in part because I think a lot of people are ready to see Alabama get beat and I think a lot of people pin their hopes on Kirby Smart being the guy that would finally get that done and to your point uh, this is a loaded team in the game uh, against Clemson and Charlotte pretty fascinating to me now and I guess I this is a, a little bit of a sidebar. The game is being played in Charlotte, North Carolina. Paul. Do we make anything out of that? I mean, that's, that's Clemson. Uh, they play the ACC championship game there every year. Now, is there any advantage to be found there? You think that doesn't matter where that game's played as long as
1: it's First of all, this game shouldn't be in Charlotte. Um, and, and let me, let me offer to the audience that doesn't know. I live in Charlotte. Uh, I can walk up and down my street and, and run into Clemson fans. I mean, this is a, this, yeah, maybe there was a time uh, this was a North Carolina town. Uh, maybe there was a time when South Carolina people, but lately it's Clemson. Uh, and, and, and I'm not teaching geography here. That's a seventh grade course. <laughs> but Charlotte sits on the South Carolina border. Uh, I mean, there's, uh, I've driven between, between Charlotte and, and Clemson, South Carolina. Uh, it's not very far. I've come back from Atlanta after the championship game. Uh, and as you as you head up the interstate, you're seeing the Clemson fans uh heading home uh in, in, in by, by the thousands this is uh this is a Clemson town now uh should that be a factor in the game no uh but uh but this is clearly an it's clearly an advantage for for Clemson to play the game in in Charlotte north slash South carolina so um but but I'm glad they're playing it. Uh, I mean this is uh, the defining game of the college football season at least going in. Uh, I think Georgia has far more upside in this game than Clemson. I think Georgia wins this game and they're number 1 in the country the following yeah. Monday. I, I don't know how you get around that. If they lose, you know the argument Mike you, you, you swim in this every day. They're 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 not they're not a whole lot worse for it. They I think they'll still run the table. I think they'll play Alabama in the championship game, and and they'll have a chance to get back in. It, it's, it, but yeah, you know, if they win the game, uh, it 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 gives them a much easier path, though.
0: Now, this is you talk about beaten down topics, but I've got to ask it. I mean, Alabama uh, extends Nick Saban's deal through twenty twenty nine. I think what is he sixty nine years? And listen, there's nothing against you know sixty nine is the new forty nine. I mean, Saban takes sure. incredible care of himself. He has shows no signs of slowing down. But we're talking about a, a an eight-year contract extension for Nick Saban. How much of that is posturing? How much of that is is uh, you know a message from Alabama to recruits versus hey, that's just the cost of doing business. That's what Nick wants.
1: Well, I, I think I think the main reason they gave it to him was first of all, it really doesn't cost anything. It's just a piece of paper, and 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 what it really does is on, on October thirty-first this year. It, it mitigates the fact that Nick Saban turned 70. That's a big date. Um, I'm in my 60s, all of a sudden you think, hmm, 70? <laughs> I mean, it, it, Nick Saban has made 70 sound young again, um, which is pretty remarkable when you think about it, but he, uh, he, he, he has, they have to do that. They're fighting Kirby on one side, they're fighting uh, everybody else in the recruiting wars uh, around the country. And they they are determined not to let age be a factor. And 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 listen, I've, I've covered I covered Bear Bryant. Uh, recruiting did him in. Uh, and, and I know after the fact he died after he stepped down. But uh, his his last recruiting class was brutal. Uh, Pat Dye came in as a young upstart and and cleaned his clock. And uh, and that included Bo Jackson, uh, who lived down the street from Alabama and always wanted to go there. But Saban can't afford that. So. I'll say this in conclusion, Mike, I have no earthly idea when Nick Saban is going to step down and I know what you know Alabama fans have now been conditioned to think he will be there until he's 150. Uh, I doubt it, I doubt he'll be there at the end of this contract, but uh, you know he'll he he, the one thing we really can't use against him any longer is, well he just turned 70, 71, 72 at some point he'll walk away, I have no earthly idea when that is.
0: That's pretty fascinating analogy there, Paul Bear Bryant and Pat died at Kirby Smart and a, a young Kirby Smart and uh, Nick Saban. That should be interesting to see yeah, another coach that got extended. And this was interesting. This is kind of a sign of the times. Uh, Dan Mullen uh, in the midst of a show cause, which these days doesn't seem to matter very much in any collegiate sport. I don't know how much the NCAA has kind of a logo out there to put on the basketball court in the tournament, I suppose, but. A Mullen now uh, extended through twenty twenty six, and this is after losing the last three games. I mean, I understand. I listen. I was there. I I saw. Uh, you know, I, I've seen what Dan Mullen's offenses can do, and certainly what Kyle Trask did uh, with Kyle Pitts and Tony was was very impressive. I mean, you know, he hung thirty eight on George in one half. I mean, that doesn't just happen. Uh, but still, it, uh, uh, an extension through twenty twenty six for Mullen that makes him the Third highest paid coach in the SEC. Is this warranted, or is this false hope from the Gators?
1: I think it's just the nature of doing business in 2021. Um, you know, we're, you know, we're, of all the athletic directors, you, you, that 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 I think the two of us—I'll speak for you—would like <laughs> to get some would like to get some truth serum in. It would probably be Scott Strickland, uh, because you know. What does he really think uh, or is he just doing it because he has to do it? I don't know the answer. Um, you know, the show cause didn't phase anyone. Uh, but the, and the new narrative, as you know, I heard it the other night on our show. I mean, Georgia almost beat Alabama in the SEC championship game. Well, these narratives get created um, and that, that's great. OK, I mean, they were what, down by 17. They came back. Uh, it, final score does matter. If you're, if you're creating a narrative, but I was surprised. I, I thought the end of the season for Mullen was, was about as embarrassing as I've seen in a long time. I thought if you, uh, if you picked out some of his behavioral t- uh, tendencies during the season, it was, it was shocking. He really was. And no reason to, to recount all that. And, and, and I, I think, I think this year can be good for them. I don't think they're, they're, they're going to come, they're going to come close to beating Alabama or, or Georgia. They may, they may go 10 and two and have, a, have another great year, but, uh, ultimately, if you're at the University of Florida, you better compete for national championships, and you you know wh- you know get you know embarrassing yourself uh, against uh, uh, was it Oklahoma, I guess in the uh, I'm trying to remember. Uh, I think it was Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl. Yeah, uh, you know, doesn't exactly uh, enhance your 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 well-being. you you, you have to start recruiting uh, at a higher level, and. I I think in some ways, uh, you know, there are a few members of the jury that are still out on
0: Dan Mullock. No doubt. You know, you mentioned the uh, Florida-Oklahoma game. Paul, I can tell you that Georgia's had a captain miss their last three games, non-playoff games. It's part of why this expanded playoff makes so much sense because guys are saying, look, if this game doesn't matter, I'm not playing it, you know, not too long ago, Mark Rick threw out a 32 playoff team idea. He said, that's not because I don't like the Bulls, It's because I want to see the kids playing in the postseason. And if a few guys are sitting out, how long before a team just says we're not showing up. And so, you know, getting into that expanded playoff talk, uh, you've heard it as much as I have 12 teams. Sankey was a part of the you know commission that came up with the idea bob boldly of the big 12 you know mountain west commissioner from the group of five it's a pretty good indication and jack swarbuck from notre dame notre dame has to have a seat at the table certainly we we can't forget notre dame paul we have to and now that you know but what just your general thoughts on this 12 team proposal i know we've heard it could start as early as 2023 but we've heard greg sankey say hey you know, let's temper the expectations. The contract runs through 2025. What do you think of it? And how soon do you think we might see it?
1: Well, I don't want to hear another word about
0: it until I know when it is,
1: because uh, if it's not till 2026, we're wasting our breath. Uh, this is just college football doing its, 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 its usual routine. And I, I still think we'll get it done sooner. And I'm not even sure why it has to be 23. I mean, just, I mean, Bill Hancock just decided arbitrary day, 23. Oh, okay, great. Um, I, I think college football will take a massive hit if it's not done in, uh, relatively soon. And what I mean by that is uh, season after next. Because all their, all their arguments, which they keep changing, and keep moving the goalposts, uh, are going to get shattered uh, if we have to wait four or five more years. I don't think college football can afford to wait five more years. Yeah, I think it's in, it's in perilous shape, uh, at least in terms of the, the, the postseason. So uh, I hope they do it. Uh, everyone's playing the blame game. Can't get the contracts worked. I mean, that's just, I mean, we can bring country, you know, the, the United States and, and, uh, and Russia had a summit a couple of weeks ago. I mean, if you, if you can get, if you can get, uh, uh, you know, those two countries to sit down for three and a half hours in Helsinki, I, I, I think you can get, uh, lawyers for the the you know the Big Ten and the Rose Bowl and ESPN and the College Football Playoff in a in a in a room at a nice five star resort uh, after they played golf uh, and and had uh, you know rubdowns and 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 sipping uh, mineral water in the steam room uh and then a five course meal i think you can get them in a room and, and and figure this thing out mike i mean it's it's the most ridiculous thing i've ever heard that you know it's it's really complicated and we need to we need to temper our expectations i'm not tempering mine uh, let, let me know when you get this done until then uh quit quit wasting our time
0: drill down trickle down question that's come out of this when we talk about how this playoff might work Obviously, these conferences, the, the objective for every one of them is to get as many teams into the playoff as they can. Uh, obviously, it certainly helps if you have allies on the college football playoff committee. They still play a role as things would work. It would be the six highest ranked conference champions, and then the next six would be determined by the college football playoff committee. Paul, oh, there's been speculation that as a result of this process, maybe, maybe, You eliminate divisions in the leagues and just pick the two best teams. Now, right now, the Big 12 is the only conference that does it. Well, they don't really have a team to to really divide it up. Would you be in favor of seeing the SEC eliminate divisions, or do you like the East-West division uh, component to the way the Southeastern Conference determines their conference champions?
1: Well, I think the the reason we have divisions now in, in football, and everyone knows we don't have them in baseball, excuse me, uh, basketball, where, where we're used to, used to be, we used to have convoluted things where a team could win the, uh, the West and not, and not even get an NCAA berth, uh, is television. You're making games at the end of the season more meaningful, and I, I think that is the advantage. Um, in the 12-team playoff, I don't think that matters a whole lot uh, because I think getting to Atlanta, I mean, how, how many times have we had this false narrative uh, Jim McElwain. Oh, well, he got to Atlanta twice. I mean, come on. The, the guy was a clown as a head coach, but he got to Atlanta twice. Uh, Missouri got there. Uh, one of the Missouri, I think did Missouri gets there once or twice. I can't remember, but one of the teams, twice. Missouri got there. Yeah. But the first time was really, they were really a good team. The second team, they didn't, they didn't belong anywhere near there. So, uh, th- that keeps, I just, that's just one of those things in college athletics. So I, I mean, I, I mean, the competition would be better if we had the best two, um, But I understand it. You know, I do work at a television network, so I understand the advantage to having a critical uh, SEC East game here today between Kentucky and, and Georgia. Yeah. So I,
0: I mean, without without that, that game no longer has a lot of meaning. Oh, it's interesting. It's an interesting that You're right. Certainly, I think maybe the Georgia Florida game uh, could lose meaning as well, unless right. Florida. Uh, starts to reemerge because I think if we talk about top teams I I would say Texas A&M has probably elbowed their way into the conversation and speaking of which Paul it looks like Jimbo Fisher is really starting to throw his weight around some comments earlier this offseason and granted off the cuff and and boosters around but still uh, should we should we be feeling the ground quaking around us is this A&M sleeping giant that we've seen for decades with all their resources their tremendous facility and and now they're seventy-four million dollar head coach. Could this be the year of the Aggies and Jimbo Fisher? Or are you not quite bought in on that one yet? I, I
1: am bought in overall on the program, and you know, many many people have gone broke uh, saying that Texas A and M is the next. Uh, I mean, I, I wrote a I had a book uh, in twenty fourteen uh, where I wrote that Texas A and M is the greatest threat to Alabama. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I may be writing that in. Uh, In 2044. um, I I think they are a threat. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen this year. And, and, you know, Jimbo didn't just say that off the cuff. I mean, he had thought about that. And, and you've been to College Station enough times. uh, That was red meat uh, to a bunch of Texans who ate it up. And if you don't say that out there, then uh, you're not a real Texan.
0: Speaking of red meat, name image likeness has certainly made college sports more attractive for these athletes. And July 1st, it's going to start in six different states, Auburn, or excuse me, Alabama, Mississippi, Florida, Georgia, Texas, New Mexico. I bring up Auburn, someone said, can you imagine if they'd have had this before? I said, yeah, Cam Newton would have played for Mississippi State. You know, you think about the dynamics of how name image likeness works and, you know, the potential for these uh, former alumni who own businesses now, to reach out above the board and pay these players. I mean, at Georgia already, we've heard that Onward Reserve, uh, uh, an outfitter out of Buckhead, very high-end, very nice clothes, is already, uh, the the word is they're targeting five Georgia athletes that are going to get offers on July 1st. And, you know, apparently at this point, and I know you had Drew Butler on, and and we've certainly had him on our show, there's no ceiling on this. There's no cap as things stand. There's no salary cap. So then, I reel it back, Paul, and I say, as we look into our crystal ball, uh, what programs does this benefit the most and which programs, you know, could Alabama and Tuscaloosa actually be at a disadvantage here because their media market isn't as big as what a and may have in Texas with, with nearby Houston or, uh, or even Georgia and Atlanta? Or am I outthinking myself here or what do you see when you look into your crystal ball with NIL?
1: No, I think it's uh, there's a lot of unknown and but if you're asking me, at least in this part of the country, who, who tends to gain the most, it would be Georgia. Um, you know, Georgia has very cleverly uh, positioned Athens as a bedroom community of Atlanta, and it is really when you get right down to it, and you know it, you just have such a mass area there. Uh, and you know, if you're sitting there in, 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 the city of Atlanta, yeah, you can find uh, an Alabama, Tennessee, uh, Carolina, Duke fan walking down the street, but you're mainly going to find dogs. And, and that's a tremendous advantage. You know, as far as Alabama media market, uh, it, it, it clearly doesn't relate, but the, but the passion of Alabama fans will probably make up for it. And, but the one thing I'm, I'm, I'm really curious about Mike. Is you know every every small business owner uh, has to make a living uh, and has to meet a payroll, and yeah, they they may experiment with this, but after a while they won't. Uh, they'll go okay. Well, number seven, uh, he really didn't deliver for me on social media, so he's out. I mean, listen, I I work for a public company. You work for a big company. They uh, we don't live in a world any longer where where you get handouts. Uh, uh, and 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 I I think there there will be a, 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 a the fa- the most fascinating part of this NIL is how how small and even big business deal with college athletes. We all love them, but
0: we're not going to love them if they're not selling our product any longer. That's fascinating. You're right, Paul. There has to be a return, and certainly these businesses have an obligation to the customers. Paul, I can't thank you enough uh, for your visit today. And and I can't thank my sponsor Ingalls enough. In fact, I want to you know take a moment to recognize Ingalls. You talk about people that deliver again and again, and Ingalls has certainly done that. Let's now take a moment to recognize Ingles. It's in our hearts to feel full. There's been ups and downs, turn around, good days and some bad, but we stand together for worse and for better, we'll always have your back, open arms, heart to heart, hand in hand, community strong. Well, welcome back to the program, obviously, uh, Paul Feinbaum with some, some great insight, always fun. Uh, to talk with Paul, uh, obviously yeah, Paul and I uh, did a pre-record on the show tonight. I wanted to make sure I could bring him to you, and we have to work around his schedule a little bit. Uh, he's obviously very busy, but um, you know what the things that he was saying about Georgia, you can tell that Feinbaum, uh, I don't want to say all in because I don't want to speak for Paul, but clearly uh, very optimistic about the Bulldogs' future. You know, we talked about NIL there at the end, and he said, "Hey." Georgia could benefit more from NIL than any other program. He explained why. I mean, Atlanta, uh, just a, a huge metropolitan area, currently number seven in the country um, most recently. So that that's big. You know, you heard him talk about JT Daniels and, and Paul saying he felt like JT had the it factor. And you know, we talked about that on our Cover 4 program last week. And, um, you know, guys were asking me, you know, why do you, why do you think, you know, do, does he not need a larger sample size? And man, I saw enough. I don't know about you, but you know, that Mississippi State game was very losable that night. And, and again, on paper, Mississippi State is this and Georgia is that. But that night in that stadium, under those circumstances, the way those Bulldogs, Maroon Bulldogs, were shutting down the running game, it was pretty much all on JT Daniels. If JT doesn't have a 400-yard game, I'm not sure that Georgia wins that game. If JT doesn't throw those deep balls that we hadn't seen the extent of which in any games in the Kirby Smart I'm not sure. And that's JT's first game out. Think about that. Here's a guy who hasn't played or competed in a game. And gosh, you know, you got to go back to uh, September of uh, 2019, right? So almost a year and a half when he played the first half, hadn't played a full game in almost two years. So for that to have been his audition, that's said a lot, right? And then they steamrolled South Carolina. The numbers could have been ridiculous, but we all know Kirby is a gentleman, right? And I mentioned that in the fine Bomb interview of does he keep his foot on the gas? Because you know, he's not just a gentleman, he's also pretty smart. And the fewer snaps that you play, the less opportunities for guys to get hurt. How do you balance that versus developing talent and keeping receivers happy and improving the odds that you're going to be able to retain these players by giving them some numbers and throwing them the football? Or You know, continuing to recruit great quarterbacks, which, by the way, Georgia has not had much of a problem of, if you look at this stack roster and with Gunnar Stockton already committed, right, and Arch Manning with a recent visit, although I'm not uh, real bullish that they'll get him. There's too many players in that game uh, and too much ahead of him to play early at Georgia, I would presume. Now things can change. Who knows what conversation we're going to be having about the Georgia quarterback room next year, right? But reeling it back in, it was very interesting to hear Paul talk about the Bulldogs. Uh, defend Kirby Smart against the narrative that you hear so often. Well, he hasn't beaten Saban yet. Yeah, but he's come closer than anyone else. And I contend that a lot of the reason why the nation has, you know, that opinion of Kirby is because they want to see Kirby knock Nick Saban off his perch. And when he hasn't done that, I think there's been some disappointed uh, fans. And that's not just Georgia fans, but I think nationally. I think I'm with with Paul in the sense that, look, Kirby is 45 years old, man. And while I don't think he's going to be coaching and be a head coach in 20 years, I'm not saying he won't. But if I had to bet, I'd say no, simply because the amount of money that he can make in the next 10 years uh, or maybe perhaps even go to the NFL uh, once he wins one or two. Who knows? Three national championships. I think it's possible. George has got the greatest. I mean, they have wonderful resources. And now you take a look at the new 80 million dollar football building. Right. And Sanford Stadium and some of the scheduling that's taking place. uh, To me, that's the handwriting on the wall. Um, you know, just what's going to happen in Athens over these next five to seven years under Kirby Smart. So, uh, you are very impressed, um, you know, with where Georgia football is at right now. And I brought up those transfers to Paul because I don't think if you're on the outside looking in and if you're honest, you know, how much do you really know about AM and camp? Or how much do you know about the changes at Alabama? Uh, you, maybe you've studied Clemson a little bit more. But my point and where I'm going with this is I don't think other people really realize just how much Kirby smart has gotten done in the transfer portal in the soft season, you know, Tyke Smith, uh, you know, a guy from West Virginia played the exact same position uh, for the Mountaineers for Jamal, the, the new DB coach at Georgia for Jamal Adai, that he's going to play with the Bulldogs. I, I don't think that's going to be a complicated transition. I know that, you know, some people might say, well, he's new. He hadn't played in the system. He's played in a very similar system, and he's played for this secondary coach. I expect him to be boom, plug and play, and probably a level up from what Tyreek Stevenson would have given you." Uh, of course, Tyreek transferred to Miami. So you lost Tyreek Stevenson in the portal to Miami, and he hate it because he had potential, and he's a guy Georgian was grooming, but he wanted to go back home, and there's probably some NIL considerations for him there. Uh, and then you plug in Tyke. And I like that trade-off. You know, I think that's a win, right? To me, that's a win. You get a guy that wants to be here for a guy that didn't really want to be here, okay? And I don't think you drop off in terms of what the performance would be. Uh, you know, Darian Kendrick, uh, the transfer from Clemson, all ACC. Listen, I, as much as anybody, would have liked to have seen DJ Daniels stay around for another year. I'm not really sure why he didn't, okay? He went undrafted to Jacksonville. I think Jacksonville got a steal. I think he should have been a draft pick. But for whatever reason, DJ Daniel left, even though he could have stayed another year. And of course, he was a tra- talented transfer, uh, started in 2019 last year, had the high ankle sprain, kind of put him behind Tyson Campbell and Eric Stokes. No shame in that. I mean, that's a, that's a first-round pick and a start of the second-round pick. Would have liked seeing DJ, but maybe DJ just ready to get paid and go, okay, that's fine. So you lost three corners in one year. Uh, you had to have immediate help. And, and I like Darian Kendrick. And I know that he had incidents and issues at Clemson, right? Um, you know, he got um, kicked off the team. He missed some workouts. But this is a guy, you know, I'll it, tell you, he's got two small children. He was tending to some things, didn't communicate it properly. Clemson did what they had to do, give Dabo credit. He said, hey, I love this kid. We had to do what we had to do, rules are rules. <laughs> and I give Jorgensen credit. Looking at Darren Kendrick and really evaluating this. Saying, okay, yeah, there was, you know, he got unlawful possession of a firearm or, or you know, a, a misdemeanor, but still, you know, the guy falls asleep with a, you know, according to the police report, with a gun in his lap and sleeping in and, and you know, trace amounts of marijuana and citation. Not a great look, nothing for commercials, not uh, anything you want to put on a billboard. But look, a young guy that makes a mistake, a young guy that was at a hard time in life makes a mistake, and Georgia says, you know what? We're going to evaluate this. We're going to talk to this kid. We're going to talk to people that know him. And George is going to make a decision. And they decide, yes, we're going to give this guy a second chance. And if Darian Kendrick can pull it all together and have a great next eight or nine months, he's going to be making millions in the NFL and he'll be able to support his family, right? So Georgia opening that door and Kendrick coming through it. I think Kendrick starts opposite of Jalen Kimber. uh, I like Amir Speed playing a lot. I think you're going to see him a lot. I think Keely Ringo is going to grow into this. I mean, now you've got four very good corners, albeit uh, other than Kendrick, not very experienced. Speed's got a little bit more uh, experience than maybe you think just from working out on all those drills and the way that he's really uh, attacked. And I like Amir in certain matchups. He's a really long corner. So I guess what I'm saying is, yeah, there's no doubt. I, I just don't think you can avoid drop off when you go from Eric Stokes and Tyson Campbell to the next group but not as much as you think because of the transfer portal and also the Tyke Smith edition. I and mean, Chris Smith is back now, got some experience in safety. He'll play, be playing next to scene. Do we think he's going to be Richard LeCount? Certainly not. You know, Richard was fantastic and probably on his way to an all American campaign. But my point is, I don't think the secondary drops up as much as maybe first glance and that's transfer portal, right? And that's Kirby smart. That's Kirby recruiting and getting the guys. And he told us, he, he told us he was going to do this. at signing day. So it wasn't like he was fooling, but I don't know where Brandon Turnage, you know, the Alabama guy that comes in, uh, you know, a former 101 ranked in the nation, four-star guy, buried on the Tide depth chart. He's got three years left. Kirby wants to bring him in. And, you know, what, he, he freaks out because uh, Darian look, look, you know, uh, Turnage, George is not going to hand you anything. There's no guarantees. You know, we report. You don't want to come, and and we report, and you say, everybody, relax with the rumors. Well, we're relaxed. All right? It's been three weeks. Where are you, man? Is he coming to Georgia? Is he not coming to Georgia? Is he going somewhere else? Um, I I don't understand this. I thought Brandon Turnage was a guy, and I wrote it, that that would really uh, beef up and increase the competition. He's a guy that can play corner. He's a guy that can play safety. He's a competitor. Uh, There's a reason he chose Alabama. He knew he was going against the best. You know, he had to know choosing George in the portal. You're still going against the best. All right? It's not like this is some drop-down program. The talent is right there. So what happens to Turnage, I don't know. Uh, but with Kendrick and Smith, I think the secondary is fine. Turnage would make it better. I don't know where he'll end up. Not a George yet, not on the roster uh, as of the taping of the show. Uh, Rick Gilbert, uh, great addition. Uh, now, this is interesting because you're transitioning a tight end to the wide receiver position, uh, how will that work out? You're looking at Gilbert to be the X. Uh, that's a position that formerly played by George Pickens. If there was one bad thing you could say about the offense, and I can actually think of two or three, or maybe questionable, thing, but if there was one, it was when Pickens got hurt in the spring, you went, oh, my gosh, this was the guy. This was the 1,000-yard receiver, 100-catch guy. Yeah, he probably was. Uh, but you put Gilbert in there, and now you got a matchup problem. No, he's not Pickens. Not many people are. But he presents a matchup problem, and I think he's going to evolve. Uh, into an extremely, extremely talented receiver. And you got Marcus Rosemi jack St. playing there as well. And, you know, you talk about a great route runner with strong hands. Um, you know, that, that's what Rosemi jack St. can give you. So I think you're fine there. Again, probably a little bit of a drop-off for Pickens, but by going to the portal once again, Kirby Smart has answered the question. The offensive line has been recruited so well. Those answers will come out of camp. at left tackle? Is it Xavier Truss? Is it Jamari Sellers? Is it Marius Mims? perhaps Broderick Jones. I don't know who ends up there, but you got to think somebody really good is going to be there, but they got to be good against Clemson right out of the gate. I thought it was interesting Paul talked about Clemson, uh, that the game shouldn't be in Charlotte, Uh, Charlotte being a Clemson town. Uh, To me, that's throwing down the gartlet. I know how these Georgia fans travel, man. Unbelievable. Can Georgia take over Charlotte? That's going to be something worth watching. I know that uh, Dog Nation will have uh, some events surrounding that that They'll probably have a little something to maybe give Georgia another shot in the arm uh, with some things they're working on. So, pretty fascinating uh, stuff to me, a lot to consider this offseason. I'm all about uh, the NIL, talking to Drew Butler. Uh, I like how it's, it's going. Uh, I like that Georgia's at the front on this uh, July 1st. This is going to kick in. Uh, I think that gives Georgia an advantage over some states. Again, Florida and Alabama and Mississippi already have it enacted, so does Texas, but other states don't. Uh, It's a leg up early on. It shows Georgia cares about the athletes, that they were willing to get this legislation passed. You saw Brian Kemp even go so far as to say he hopes it helps Georgia win the championship. So uh, pretty interesting to me uh, to see the direction of name, image, likeness. And and I think that Georgia is well positioned to benefit probably as well, if not better than anyone, because of the proximity of Atlanta and because of the sophistication that you see in the athletic department from Josh Brooks. He's a younger guy. Uh, but Josh is very contemporary when it comes to these things. He's got his uh, you know, thumb on the pulse. He really understands what's happening. And I think that's a big advantage to have a younger, uh, very proactive athletic director like Josh Brooks at a time like this when there's all these changes, uh, you, this is where your leadership gets tested the most is when there's changes, right? No one likes to, everybody wants to just maintain it, you know, defender strategy. Let's just keep everything the way it is. That's just not reality, right? You either evolve or you get passed by. When we think about Nick Saban and his continued success, what does he do? He evolves. He loses coaches every year. He replaces them. He does things different ways. He keeps winning. I think Kirby Smart, much the same. You know, And, and I'm also very optimistic that Kirby is going to turn him loose in the fourth quarter. And what I mean by that is I do think JT will pose prolific numbers. And I also think that when Carson Beck and or Stetson Bennett or who knows Brock Vandergrift, gets in the game, I don't think that means there's just going to be hand handoffs. I think Georgia is going to continue to throw the football because I think Kirby Smart understands that now retention is more important than ever uh, because of one-time transfers, right, and the ability of these guys to leave. use them or lose them. And I think Kirby will understand that, and I think you're going to see Georgia change with the times in that area. So uh, some great thoughts today. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the program again. Want to thank Paul for coming on. Obviously I I do his show uh, each week in the fall season and uh, on occasion in the off season, uh, you know, he'll give me a ring and uh, like to step up and and give some strong opinions and back it up with facts. Um, You know, that's kind of the name of the game. I mean, we all love talking football and we all have a little bit different perspective and, you know, it's just worked out in my career where I've had great opportunities uh, to move up at each stop. Um, You know, different organization, different newspapers, different digital entities, whether it was Auburn, Alabama, uh, Tennessee, now Georgia. I've seen the SEC from a few different angles, um, you know, covered several different sports. And so it gives me a perspective. Right. And uh, and I like to share that with you guys on our angles on the beat uh, every Monday night. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's show. I hope you all have a wonderful week. Uh, Have a very safe Fourth of July. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. If you've got questions or comments, please add them to the comment section and I'll circle back and answer for you and uh, give you some feedback. So everybody, thanks for joining me and have a great week.